welcome to another edition of The Education Game. I am Matt, and this is Dr. Uh, Scott. Scott. Yes, Dr. Thank Scott. You. I was waiting for... What are we? What are we going with today? It's waiting for you to define how you're going to introduce okay. yourself. All right. So, uh, listen. Of all the interviews we've had so far, Scott, this is the one I'm actually most looking forward to. I had a chance to meet with a woman uh, who has set up a learning pod, uh, and it was profiled in the New York Times, profiled in the Houston Chronicle. Um, she lives not far from where I live. Uh, and it, it's called the Black Girl Magic School Learning Pod. And so her name is Amaka. Let me bring her on real quick. Welcome, Amaka, to the education game. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So let me let me grab my newspaper because I have been showing this to all of our viewers. This is the Chronicle uh, that profiled the Black Girl Magic School. You know, your daughter's in there and a few other kids and... And so we wanted to just, because we've talked about how important it is for parents to take leadership of their child's learning, we want to start by just getting a sense from you, what motivated this? Are you crazy? Like, what what are you thinking to do something like this? So give us your thoughts. So I guess I'll start with, am I crazy? Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, if crazy is defined by just willing to do whatever I need to do in order to make sure that I can cultivate and grow my daughter into the adult I want to give to the world. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I may be a little crazy. Um, I used to attend school um, prior to the pandemic and they closed um, and it just was not sustainable um, nor realistic for me to believe that I could teach her while also serving uh, professionally. I serve as the chief of staff for one of our district council members. Mm -hmm. And I also own a small business and just wasn't realistic for me to believe that I could do all three of those things while also parenting her mm -hmm. um, at the level that I desire to do it at. And so after the school set a couple of different um, reopening dates due to the pandemic, uh, we decided, hey, we'll start Black Girl Magic School. Um, and we hired her teacher from her actual private school. Um, and me and the parents, we got together and we talked through what we wanted this to look like, what we wanted for our kids. And here we, we've been here since, since June. So I'd like to pick up on that because you had a proactive conversation with other parents about what you wanted to see. And again, we, you and I had a chance to talk last week or week before last. Uh, tell me more about what it is you wanted to see and do me a favor and con contrast that with what you typically see in a school setting. And then I'm going to ask Scott maybe to, to reflect on what you're wanting and what the system of schools typically wants. So can you go ahead and start okay. with that? what I wanted to see or what we desire to see in Black Girl Magic School versus what we typically see um, in the school environment, what we wanted to see, flexibility at its optimal level, um, us being able to look at what our kids need today and look at what they need this week and be able to have a conversation with the teacher and all of us at partnering with one another on our kids' education and development, both academically, emotionally, um, spiritually, you know, um, socially, us being able to adapt 
for the next week. Um, and uh, so an example I could give for that is all of our girls are also enrolled in the same dance program. Mm. This week, we have extra dance practices because they have a jingle jam um, virtual type of recital this Saturday. Because of that, um, the amount of homework they may typically get is not something that is in their best interest this week. Um, and so being able to, their teacher being able to adapt that accordingly based on what we're dealing with this week um, so that we can meet the needs of our kids and make sure that they continue to not experience stress at a level that they shouldn't have to at three or four years old. Hmm. Um, and so what do we typically see? Um, and not that, I mean, I loved her school, right? Um, but of course I love this more. Um, but what we typically see, we typically see being part of a system, being part of a system that has to have pretty strict or, um, or policies that are not flexible in order to be able to control and have normalcy for the and, and limit chaos for the teachers and the students, mm -hmm. right? So this is the time they have recess at, and this is the time it ends because there may be another class that needs to use the playground. Right. But at Black Girl Magic School, this is the time they have recess and they're having a good time and they're doing imaginary play and they're pretending to be the teachers and they are let the weather happens to just get better in a, in a matter of those 15 minutes. And they say, can we play more? They can play more because we don't have to be within a system and the normalcy of it ends at this time so they can stay on schedule for X, Y, Z. All right. And I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to ask Scott to give his impressions or uh, maybe talk through your impressions as, again, a steeped educational expert of what she just said, what's the likelihood of that actually showing up in an educational setting. Uh, give, give me your reactions to that, Scott. Well, you know, Matt, I'm just shocked, shocked that the first thing that was brought up was the lack of flexibility within the public school system. That's a shock to me. Yeah. Now I'm being like, I'm being totally sarcastic. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, the system is totally inflexible. Um, if your parents uh, would have gone to, you know, even a private school and basically said, you know, Hey, our kids want to play, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes more a day. Is that possible? Well, you could you you can just see the look the look on the principal's face. You know, if I do that for these kids, what's the other demand that's going to happen? You know, and and come into my into my office, then I'm going to have to, you know, think about you know giving those parents that demand. Hmm. And um, yeah, so you know, the other thing that was that really resonated with me was your story about a dance. So these, these young ladies have a very important performance coming up. Mm -hmm. It's very important to them. So why wouldn't we as adults adjust the day, the learning day, so that they have time to get ready for that big, may I say, Super Bowl 
you know, in the, in their world, it's the Super Bowl, right? Uh, it reminds me of uh, uh, Matt didn't mention this, but when I was at uh, the nonprofit, uh, we launched a personalized learning lab school, and uh, uh, I had a soccer coach come into my office one day, and he said, uh, "Can you start one of these for me?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, he said I really like the way that you use time." My soccer players, they don't have enough time in, in, in a traditional school to practice soccer the, the way that they want to practice it. And it wasn't a matter that this coach uh, didn't want his kids to learn how to read or do math uh, or learn about science. No, far from it. He just wanted to negotiate time. Hmm. So that's what resonates uh, with uh, uh, Black Girl Magic School. I'm I'm just kind of interested. How many how many kids uh, do you have in in your learning pod right now? Five girls. There are five awesome. girls. They're upstairs right now in what is their classroom. So you probably can hear them. They were having. I think they're having Spanish right here. I'm talking. Did you yeah. say Spanish? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, here, here's a couple of questions I have. What was the easiest thing that had to be done to put this together? Mm. And what was the hardest? What was the easiest? And what was the, the hardest? The easiest thing was letting it be at my home. Honestly, that was probably the easiest thing for me. Um, The hardest thing, the hardest thing is actually turning other families away, to be quite honest. Mm. That's the hardest thing. Um, Say more more about that. How how, how many families want a part of this so far? To date, we've turned away about like 22 families. Ooh. Wow. We wow. um I've had some of the families I've known. It's been previous classmates. So all the girls know each other. They all yeah. attended the same school together. Um and they're all not in the same grade. One of the girls, she's technically what we would call pre-K three, right? And the other four yeah. girls are pre-K four. Um so we've turned away other classmates of theirs, their schoolmates of theirs from their previous school. We've turned away some neighbors, we've turned away some of our personal family friends, and we've turned away people who have just reached out to me and contacted me. Um, maybe they've seen, the girls have been in the Chronicle twice now. They were just in the Chronicle again, Matt, about a week and a half ago. Hmm. Uh, not this Sunday, but the previous Sunday. Um, uh, or they saw the New York Times article and they reached out um, to me. And so, yeah, we turned away families where that could happen. Yeah. So uh, we just had an interview with um, an edupreneur who talked about the idea of micro schools, which is that Mm -hmm. the structure you're describing now becomes much more possible because of some technological dynamics that have just come online in the last five, maybe 10 years at most, but definitely in the last five years. Um, But what you're describing is there's demand for flexibility. There's a demand for what you're describing. And my guess is if more people heard about what you're doing, 
that it wouldn't have it wouldn't be twenty two parents you're turning away. It would be twenty two hundred parents. But what Scott and I are trying to explore is how do we help families do more of this without the fear that they're somehow missing out or they're losing uh, something in their child's learning. Um, and so I, I sent you a couple questions that I wanted to ask you about. The The first thing is, and all this is really in the vein of uh, lowering the fear level on parents to do something different, right? So the first question is, what are the top two things you've learned about your child's learning during your, your learning pod structure? I have learned that she thrives with the right balance of flexibility and autonomy and also structure. So there's some parts of her learning that she really needs to be really structured. And there are other parts that she needs to be able to just be free to do and learn it however suits her with someone supporting her in that. Um, I've also learned that, I mean, I knew she was smart. I've learned that like she's impeccably brilliant. Um, and I, while I think I'm already doing a good job of cultivating her learning, there are things that I haven't been cultivating because I just hadn't thought of it. Um, so around like um, her ability to like advocate for herself mm. um, or her her desire to want to be of service to others um, and to um, really hone in on her desire to choose kindness. Um, and so those are things that like, I just wouldn't have known because I don't interact with her at school in the school setting on a day-to-day -day basis. But because school is in my home and I work in my home due to the pandemic um, and it's my home. So, you know, like we already had like nanny cams and things like that from when she was a baby. And so I'm able to watch it. And, and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Like, or, oh, I didn't know that she likes to boss people. Like he wants to be the they're doing imaginary play. So lots of different things that I've, I've learned. I've learned that she loves, she loves excellence. She's mm. addicted to excellence. And by watching how addicted she is to excellence, it's become important to me to make sure that I am teaching her to grant herself grace, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, example, they, they're three and four, but they take a, they do like a spelling test. They learn like I think five or six sight words a week. And she, uh, one week she got one wrong. And she was like, mommy, I got it and like burst into tears. And I was like, it's okay. When you get something wrong, that's your way of learning what you need to learn. So like, that's a cool thing because it lets you know, these are the things I don't know. And now you have something you can practice, you know? And Let me so let me pause you, Scott. Um, what would happen in a school sec uh, setting if uh, a, a, a child got, um, you know, uh, what is that, twenty percent wrong on uh, on a test? Uh, she'd get a B, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and uh, you know, Matt and I were just talking about this yesterday. That uh, so so like in school, um, the test happens. And then, you know, the kid gets the grade. And then usually what happens is the teacher in the class moves on. 
Uh, I'm guessing in in your learning world, um, you know, whatever they're missing, you know, there's always tomorrow to work on that, right? What you don't get today, you're going to get tomorrow. That doesn't happen inside of the traditional system very often. Uh, what oftentimes happens is there's a pacing guide that the teacher feels as though they they have to follow. And, you know, they're going to follow the pacing guide, right? They're going to move on. And now all of a sudden, whether it's your daughter or another child, they haven't learned that word or that set of words. And that's not built into their learning plan. Um, the other thing that I, uh, I just kind of smiled about was, isn't it funny uh, when you take kids out of traditional school space, how grades and ages don't matter so much, right? Because what happens is we realize, just like the adult world, that we are all on different development tracks, right? It's, yeah, it's it's a beautiful, it's beautiful, right? It's a great thing, you know, the way in which the teacher and us as parents are able to differentiate for our children is amazing. Five girls, two of them may be on like a first grade, um, emerging first grade or middle first grade level. Two of them are on a emerging kindergarten level. One is on a pre-K level. When you look at them, when I say a spelling test, my daughter's taking a spelling test on Friday. All five kids are not taking a spelling test. Some of them have a handwriting test that she's taking because she's practicing how to be able to write her her letters and her numbers. Someone else may be taking a sentence structure test. And so it's five of them. And by having this small micro school setting, the teacher's able to differentiate on a level that, you know, you could only honestly dream of. When I watch them do math, they often kick me out of school. I know it's my home. I'll like sneak upstairs and like take videos and pictures. They're like, Miss Amalfa, you don't go to school here. I'm like, in my head, wow. You know, but I sneak up there. I'm so much joy to see them learning. And when you see them doing their math, you'll see one student is working on, you know, knowing her numbers, being able to count from 100, one to 100. Another student is working on being able to add numbers from one to five. Another student may be working on being able to add numbers one through 10. Two other students may be working on being able to add numbers one through 20 and being able to do it without using math manipulative tools. And so it is amazing. And they're all sitting at the table doing math at their level, not feeling like they have to compete with one another or that they have to be at the same level. It's like, yes, this is your level right here. And we are so proud of you for being at this level. And this is your level. And we're so proud of you. And we're all supporting one another. So it's such a cool thing to see. It's like really cool. Although they, yeah, every, every everyone's working on their own work, uh, exactly. which is another big difference uh, from traditional school space, and that exactly. is everyone's working on for for the most part the same work, and therefore what happens as you pointed out, there is peer judgment. So if I'm struggling and I'm sitting beside you, and you're looking at me. Then all of a sudden at the bathroom break, um, there is or there can be some Mm -hmm. sort of 
not so nice judgment, you know, on, on, on behalf of two kids uh, interacting. But, you know, that, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing of personalized work, right? Exactly. You're working on your stuff. I'm working on mine. It's your stuff and it's my stuff, right? So I'm, I'm kind of interested, uh, how long has uh, a Black uh, Girl Magic School been operating? Did you start uh, in the fall? In June. We started in June. In June. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we looked in June too. Yeah, when you close your eyes and you mm-hmm. kind of vision out, what do you think this looks like, let's say, a year from now? You know, that's a that's a really good question. Um, Matt didn't send you that question, did he? Not. <laughs> and I told um, you, I told you to send her send her that question. You know, I I don't know, right? Like I as we're preparing my daughter's name is Ure, as we're preparing her for kindergarten and we're wondering where are we going to send her? We're also asking ourselves, why do we have to send her anywhere, right? Right. Because where she's going is something that we could never recreate. And where can we send her where she will get this, get her needs met at this level, right? Yeah. You know, I know for sure when I look up and I see 2021, Black Girl Magic School is right here. I had someone send me a message this morning saying, hey, you should apply for this $25,000 grant so you can expand Black Girl Magic School. Um, And so the pressure is there, right? I know that what we have going is a great thing. We are immeasurably blessed to be able to do this for our five girls. And the thought of it ending um, scares me. And the thought of it continuing also scares me because it's like, wow, how do we end this? You know? Um, And it's like, wow, also how do we continue, right? Um, But I know for sure it's here right now and it's going to be here after the holiday break. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, when we talked a few weeks ago, um, Mm -hmm. I told you about some of my journey and how each year... um, uh, my family would would ask the question, "Are we gonna do something different?" Because we were we were homeschooling, and each time uh, the question came up, "Are we gonna put them back in school?" We'd explore it, and we kept saying to ourselves, "Our kids are thriving in this model, and we know what the other model looks like. And the other model mm-hmm. is a lot of competition. It's a lot of judgment. It's a lot of, frankly, it's a lot of focus on things that we actually don't value." And that the future of our society doesn't actually value. Teamwork is valued far more in the future than it was in the past. Um, So the collaborative spirit. Character matters far more. I mean, it's always mattered. But I think character is going to be one of these key pieces. Problem solving matters far more going forward. And so these are the things that um, I feel like uh, it, it felt for us that we couldn't send our child back. But I will also say, and I think I shared this with you before, it's hard work. It is uh, potentially time costly, right? It's frustrating because now you have to handle challenges, right? Before, I could just send that to the school. Hey, school, you handle that, right? Um, but the, the, 
when I think about the cost, I also think about the value. Like, what do you get in return? And so what I'm hearing from you is what you're seeing, what you're getting in return, what your daughter is getting is so high that it's hard to imagine giving that up. And that's kind of where we were. And that's what we're trying also to inspire parents to say, look, it is going to be hard work. We don't want to lie to you about it. It's going to be tough. But the value is you're going to have a child who's going to be able to enter this new world with confidence, with um, autonomy, with a sense of their own ability to solve their own problems. Talk to me a little bit about, because again, we had a long conversation about what you're envisioning in terms of your daughter's self-efficacy, her, self, her ability to, to lead her own and manage her own life, lives or life at an early age. Talk to me more about that part of how you're trying to build your daughter. You know, my goal in parenting Ure every day is to ask myself, like, how am I developing her into the adult that I want to give to the world? Um, how can I make her and help her be a great human? Um, and so in, in doing that, I, I'm trying my best to make sure that how educate her happens with balance. That it's not all about the math and the science and the reading and the English, but it's about a balance of teaching her to advocate for herself, teaching her to advocate for others, um, teaching her to recognize when things aren't okay and to and to speak up about it, teaching her to choose kindness, um, teaching her how to help others, um, teaching her to explore whatever it is that her heart desires, even if it means that she doesn't want to explore for the long term, but trying new things. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm trying, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what strikes me is that you have a clear vision about, again, I love the language, the adult you want to give to the world. You have a clear vision about that. And now you're working backwards what does a four-year-old yes. look like who you're preparing to to be someone who's autonomous? Um, we've got a graphic that I might show on our video that when we, when right. we air this um, about um, how, how the challenge of parenting, one of the major challenges of parenting is giving teaching the child how to own their own learning so that the parent can step back and let the child lead. And mm -hmm. historically in education, in schools – the teacher or the system decides what the child is going to learn. They develop the learning plan for the child. The child may learn it, may not, but then the school also evaluates the child. And in a new world, the child or the, or the young adult is going to have to define what they want to learn. They're going to have to plan for it. They're going to have to execute it. And then they're going to need to evaluate it for themselves. And so that's, a again, a flipping of how learning has happened historically. So, um, Listen, I, I am. We could talk to you for days. I'm sure you don't have that kind of time. But let me ask you another couple of questions that I prompted you earlier about. Um, we talked a little about about the differences you've seen between a pod and traditional school. Let me let's let's now be a little bit real for the parents. What are some of the biggest battles? Maybe the top two battles you've had to fight um, with your parents, um, with your uh, uh, other pod members. Uh, around uh, your daughter's, I won't say education, your daughter's learning and this learning pod. What are some of the battles that you had to fight? 
I, I start with my parents. Um, mm-hmm. So I, um, I'm first generation uh, Nigerian American, um, and uh, Nigerians historically we we love education, right? Mm-hmm. We love to be the top. We thrive off of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my within our Nigerian culture, within my Igbo culture. You know, it's about going to school, doing exactly what the teacher says, regardless of the teacher tells you to do something that's wrong. You do as they say, and you get an A plus all the time, because if you don't get an A plus and someone else gets an A plus, then that person must have what had two heads, because how could you have possibly not have got a grade as good as them or better than them? So, right. I'm so serious. I'm so serious. You know, I, I remember you know, getting an A and my mom would be like, did anybody get an A plus? And I'm like, yeah, two people. She's like, did they, did they have two heads? They have two heads? And I'm like, no, they have one, but they got an A plus. So um, for me, it's been about reminding my parents that Although I'm very grateful for the way in which in which they groomed us, um, you know, I, I went to Berkeley for undergrad. I went to University of Chicago for grad school. I went to NYU for my second master's. I am taking the things that I believe they did well, and the things that I believe that I don't think they did so well, but I still turned out well, and being able to focus on parenting from a perspective of being a conscious and nurturing parent. Mm. And meeting the needs of my child versus forcing her into a construct or a culture that I feel that she must now adjust to. Hmm. Um, I don't want her spending her life adjusting to others. I want her spending her life trying to help people embrace her as she is and her being and knowing that she doesn't have to compete with everyone and be the best at at every single thing, she just has to be the best her, mm. right? Give me your best versus you having to be the best. There's two told that's totally different. And within the culture, you must be the best at any cost. And for me, I'm teaching her, do your best. If you did your best, that's all mommy wants. Um, and so my parents are, you know, they're, they struggle with it. They, they struggle with it, you know. They, they struggle. I, that, that's the best that I'll yeah. say. They, yeah, they struggle, but they also are learning from it because mm-hmm. they see their granddaughter and they're like, "Oh, wow, okay." I I I I I don't understand this, but I understand it, you know. So they're <laughs> learning. They're learning. Um, and she's teaching them too something that within the context of our culture kids can't do mm. kids on adults in Nigerian culture um, and she's teaching them and she feels brave and confident um, in teaching them and leading with empathy even mm. with Nana and Papa and saying you know Nana no Nana it's okay it's okay, Nana, that I didn't that I didn't know that word in the book. It's okay because that's something I can now learn. Mm. And you know, and that's not Nigerian culture. Like you don't know the word, okay, you're gonna repeat this word, you're gonna write it one thousand times until you know it. Right. And that's not how I'm raising her. Wow. Um what I'm hearing is you are producing a leader, a leader of character. 
and that is in short supply in our day and age, it seems right now. Um, so um, focusing on the things that matter, which is learning, not responding to a sense of shame when you miss or make an error. I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that I've seen in school, Scott, we've talked about this, um, kids who uh, are, are actually at the top of the class, they become the most risk averse because they've been taught for years. The last thing you want to do is fail or get a poor grade. So what happens? They start taking courses that are easier or they certainly don't look for a true challenge. They don't want, they don't want anything that's going to like force them to really dig in because they might fail by getting a B <laughs> in a class that they learned a ton and they will see that as a, as a failure uh, versus and the, in, in the business, man, we call that padding the grade point. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And of course, you know also, what I'm, go ahead, Scott, go ahead. You know what I'm thinking about, Matt? Hmm. Um, I'm thinking about the kindergarten teacher uh, who, <laughs> who the first day of class, uh, if this school decides to send these kids back to public school, uh, what or, or private school for teacher, that matter. or private school, yeah. any school, any school, yeah. uh, what what that what that teacher uh, needs to be prepared for. So Scott, right. talk talk to that. What what was what does the teacher need to be prepared for? And and is it like help Amaka prepare herself if she does want to go back to public or private? What does she need to do? to make sure that she's preparing the ground for, uh, for a, a, a soft reentry, so to speak. Yeah. I think the, uh, the, the one thing, uh, that, uh, you need to, uh, you know, if the decision is made by the families to send those, uh, learners back into tr traditional space, um, one of the things that learners, uh, who have uh, been trained and are working uh, the way that uh, I hear uh, your five uh, being trained and, and, and working is they have a really hard time going back into a space and being told how they're going to learn something, mm -hmm. right? Because what's going on in uh, your learning organization right now is they are learning how to learn in very different ways than the than the traditional system. Um, so I, I have a little bit of experience with this uh, with older kids. Uh, our kids were eleven to thirteen, and they left us to go into high school. You're talking about the uh, the lab school. Yeah, the lab the, at, at the lab school, um, and. What they're, they're, say again. Are you in Chicago? No. Uh, this was a lab school that we uh, uh, we launched oh. uh, uh, in uh, the Houston Museum District uh, okay. when, we, uh, when I led uh, Houston A-plus Challenge. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, when those kids went into high school, and I think your, your learners are going to be facing the same uh, – let's just call it a negotiation, but those kids really didn't need uh, any help uh, learning what the teacher wanted them to learn. They wanted the teacher to be there as a guide and as a supporter. 
They didn't want the teacher to be the sage on the stage lecturing 45 minutes. To them, that was a colossal waste of time. And I'm thinking, now these kids aren't 13, but in their own little four-year-old and five-year-old way, they're going to be mm-hmm. stepping in and basically saying, you know what, I know how I want to use you in, in my learning. And when I need you, I'll let you know. But, you know, for now, let me know what you want me to learn. And now it's a negotiation on how we're going to learn it, which is, which is very different than the, than the traditional system, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got one question around the mechanics of the uh, of of the of your your learning pile. Uh, is it how how old are, are the kids? Are some of the kids like public school age? All of them are. Four of the girls are four, and one of them she's three. So one three. Okay. Girl, one All right. Three. So. Yeah, so they so they would be maybe in in the traditional system in pre-K. Yes. Right. Okay. Here's here's a question that I've been dying to ask someone like you. Have have your families had any conversation about um, that that they that they're upset that they are paying taxes? into a public school system, but they are not utilizing that public school system. And it just doesn't seem fair to me that that's happening. It seems as though some of that, some of that tax, some of that public money should be coming back to you to help you run Black Girl Magic School. Has there been any conversation about that? between the parents? Great question. Um, Not something that we have, because the parents, we do have, you know, um, Zoom meetings, recurring Zoom meetings, and we, you know, gather in the backyard, social distance style, and have conversations as well. We haven't talked directly about that, but we have talked about, you know, um, how we, you know, put away our money for our kids uh, in our flexible spending account to pay for school and like we that money's kind of sitting there and we're like hey how can we still use this money um we've talked about uh, i know i think about that a lot that i'm paying taxes and yet i'm paying essentially tuition right to run a school in our home um i in in effect you're getting taxed twice right you're spending you're spending double dollars. Um, you're paying into yeah. a system that you're currently not using, and then you're paying yeah. into a system that you've created. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, so the thing that I I'd like to, so I'd hope we can have you back on Amaka because what the, sure. the the conversation that we really are interested in is how can we take the learning that you were having and broaden it, right? Again, the the person okay. we interviewed just the other day, he talked about how. With micro schools, you can do all sorts of things without having a full-time, you know, accredited teacher in your midst. Um, and so, what we're trying to figure out is how do we help parents, you know, learn from your experience and then adapt it to their own circumstances. So those twenty-two 
that tried to get in, they can set their own up. Or those 2,200 that are interested in this uh, can set their own up and, you know, we can maybe support some of their learning with some of what you're experiencing and what you're learning kind of helping to guide that. So, But, we, but Matt, let, let me just add this. Yeah. If, if we can't get the money right, of course, uh, yep. those 22 families right, will be locked out. I'm guessing they need some help. Yes. Right. Yes. So probably the three, three of us can pay into a system and then also pay into a, an alternate system. Yes. But until yes. we get the money right, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for these types of learning pods to scale up. Sure. Sure. Well, and as I've said before, that gets us into policy conversations, and it, I lose my hair when, when we start talking about some of that stuff. And you know I don't have much to lose, Scott, as Scott you know, runs his fingers through his hair uh, to rub it in. So listen, we could talk to you about this all day, but we need to close this up. Um, any last comments, Amaka or Scott? Um, uh, we really so appreciate you being on the show today. You know, my last comment would be um, I think what makes it easy for us to be able to do this and I think what makes it hard for us to envision a world in which parents um, get to have optimal flexibility to meet the needs of their children and to truly partner with the educators that are helping them to, um, to, to grow their kids is that it's really hard for people to always keep at center asking themselves a question of what is, is that in the best interest of the children? Mm. Yeah. Is that in the best interest of my child? And I knew that keeping my daughter at home and me teaching her was not in the best interest of my child. Mm. Um, and we know that our learning pod, we ask ourselves that question all, all the time. Is this in the best interest of our kids this week? Mm. Like, what is in the best interest of these girls this week? You know, um, it's really cold. What's in the best interest of them when it comes to them being able to have time to play? Um, we're coming up on the holidays. What's in the best interest of them and us teaching them, you know, about the holidays and letting them experience that? Mm -hmm. What's always asking ourselves that question? And when we look at the bureaucracy, and the policies that govern education, if people were to ask them, themselves, what is in the best interest of the children that we are serving, we would not have a lot of things going on that we have going right now. That's right. But that's we know right. it's really difficult for people to keep that front and center. Yes. And so that's the question I ask myself as a parent, as a previous educator, and as what I see myself as, which is my daughter's most important teacher. And so awesome. That's, that's I can think of no better way to conclude. Uh, thank you. Would love to at some point have you back on if you're willing. Really appreciate your helping us understand more about what you're up to. And uh, just we'll be pray in prayer for you and your daughter and your uh, your pod as well. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, experience, it sounds like. And um, I am looking forward to also meeting the leader that your daughter is going to become because we're going to need leaders like her. Uh, very soon. And good we luck with the uh, with the dance recital too. <laughs> That's thank right. you. They're jingle jam. They're so excited. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, so, thank you, Amaka. Appreciate your time. All right. All right. Scott. Scott. She's killing. That was it. one of the, that was one of the best. 
and we just scratch the surface. That, we say that a lot, right? <laughs> we do. We've got a lot of good interviews on this show, no question. But that yeah. this one, yeah, yeah, pretty so good stuff. Give me, give me your takeaway, Scott, and then I'll, I'll give you some of mine. Well, you know what? I just hear from so many parents. Oh, this is just such hard work. Mm. Just it's it's really really hard work. Mm. You know what, man? Here's here's an example of five families who got together and basically said, "You know what? What we got going on with our little girls in the traditional system, I think it was even a private school. It's mm-hmm. not working for us." Five families figured it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I dare say that in a year, those families are going to be hard pressed to take those little girls back into the traditional teaching and learning system. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the other thing I thought about, you know, if we were having this conversation in 1820, well, first of all, we wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be having a conversation with you. you Zoom in. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We'd be writing letters, you know, and then, you know, a month later, (laughs) you know, I'd get, I'd get a response. Yeah. Yeah. But play along here. All right. I'll, I'll play along. You know, in 1820, this is how people figured out how to get their kids learned up. Ready. Mm-hmm. Ready. ready, ready for adulthood. Right, yep. there was no public school system. Yeah, there was no. Hey, let's just put them on the bus and send them down to these places called schools. Yeah, that didn't yeah. come come around, you know, for at least some Americans until 1840. Most Americans much later. Right. right. So, like, if people and and like really smart people came out of the 19th century. So I guess my question is, we I think we have to be a little careful that we don't think we are so advanced that we look down on uh, this uh, black school, uh, black girl magic school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're figuring stuff out and, yeah. and good for them. And I, I wish them, uh, the total best. Absolutely. Yeah. So Scott, I mean, you, you mentioned the 1820, but it's really since the beginning of recorded time that families and communities were figuring out how to get their kids ready for the adult world. I mean, that that's, that's, that's normal. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that there's a hundred year, 150 year gap where we turn that responsibly over to institutions. And now it looks like it's moving back. And I think that's a good thing to your point. Nope. Now, you also said that um, this is not that hard. I'm going to challenge you on that. Um, but I'm, the way I'm going to challenge you is by saying um, you're going to pay a cost in the education of your child. One way or the other, you're going to pay a cost. And that cost can come on the front end or it can come on the back end. And, the, and, and a lot of parents, and we've talked about this, a lot of parents call me with their 14-year-old son or daughter who's going left, going off the rails. And they're like, hey, help me. Can can you help? My child doesn't like school. He's dropping out. He's failing his classes, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, you 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 paid or you, you invested in a system that this is the outcome that you're likely to get. So you shouldn't be that surprised. 
So now that mom that, that calls me when they have a 14-year-old or 16-year-old, that mom is now looking at the next 25, 30 years, maybe longer, of paying a cost. Now, Amaka, she's paying the cost on the front end. She's making sure that she's got a vision of where she wants her child to be, and she is working backwards to make sure that at age four, that child is learning independence, autonomy, uh, uh, character, problem solving, right? And so when that when uh, when Amaka's daughter reaches fourteen, Maka can step back and say, "Hey, girl, you got it. I'm out." Right? You, maybe you run earlier. your show. Probably earlier than maybe, that. That's maybe right. earlier. But you run yeah. your show. I'll be here to support and coach you. But you got this. I've trained you up. Now roll. And and again, every parent's going to have to make play a cost. So it, it's not that it's easy to do. It's when you're going to invest your time. Um, and invest is the right word, by the way. You invest it when you start early and try to you know make sure you overcome barriers and problems that most parents only see too late. Uh, and then the last part I will say to that is a quote that I, I don't know where this came from. So I guess I'll just say I came up with it. Um, and the quote is, anything of value costs. And there is nothing more valuable than raising a caring, competent adult. So there's going to be a cost involved. And again, I'm just so pleased that Maka was on the show to help us get a sense and help other folks listening get a sense of what is possible and how micro schools now um, are dropping the cost of, of some of this work. I mean, this is, this is really amazing. Yeah. So what are the three media outlets that she's uh, granted interviews to? Oh, uh, the Houston Chronicle. Twice. The New York Times <laughs> and the Education Game. That's right. Now, if anyone <laughs> says that we don't rate, <laughs> let, let me say that again. Yes. The Houston yes. Chronicle, the New York Times, and the Education Game. That's right. I, I'm, I'm saying Say no more. And we're the only one that she's done a visual, of a video interview with. So really, in many ways, we are actually ahead of the game. We're, we're ahead. We're, we're ahead. <laughs> All right. So the other things that came up were the importance of flexibility, autonomy um, in the educational process. And, you know, again, you, you spoke at length about how rare that is in a public or, or private structure, right? Yeah, well, the, the the risk here is that once you get a taste of flexibility and autonomy, freedom. Um, yeah, it's liberating. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, traditional school systems really don't want the learner to taste that flexibility and that autonomy. Mm-mm. That is seen as a risk. It is a risk, you know, and and at a at, at big numbers, the system can't figure that out. Yeah, yeah, Scott, you you've talked about how you know, and in, in some of your when you were leading schools, parents would come into your office and they would say, "This is what I want," and here's here's the, here's the negotiation that we're going to have about my child. Um, you know, what Amak is describing is not only the mom having that negotiation but eventually the child having the negotiation and every single, our vision is every single mom and child in that school would be constantly pushing on the school for flexibility. And to your point, as a principal, that would just be unworkable, right? Well, you know, and, and Matt, here, here's the deal. Uh, this, uh, this uh, equity uh, uh, word is so big 
right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and not just in public schools, but all over the country, equity. Let me, let me tell you something. Um, I don't know whether the traditional school system can offer equity to all of their learners. Mm. Um, it goes back to that story, right? Um, you know, I kind of knew the parents mm-hmm. that knew the school board member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, uh, but not only did I do it, it happens all the time. It, 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 it's continuing to happen. Um, you know, as the decision maker, who's going to make the phone call to the board member or to the superintendent. Mm-hmm. And it's basically those parents uh, that get the adjustment made to whatever they're requesting. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen for every parent. Not even close. So it's not even close. So how can we achieve equity inside of that system? And here's my, here's, here's where I've uh, arrived at. We can't, Hmm. it's not going to happen. Don't, don't listen to people inside the district that say, you know, we're going to give you a fair shake. We're here for all kids. Hmm. Right. It's, and it's not, it's not personal. I think, I think people who really say that, especially at the lower levels of the district really believe it. But when you get to the higher levels inequity mm-hmm. all over the place, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's who, you know, Okay, well, for the families listening, Amaka is an example of how the educational world is changing. We talk about it, the educational game is changing. We on this show are trying to help parents understand it so that they can prepare for it and they can ready their children for a future that is going to be very different than anything that you know we were prepared to step into. Um, so... Scott, any last comments before we sign off? No, we got to find uh, more uh, Amakas. Yep. And uh, not only in Houston. I mean, Matt, they're out there. Yep. yep. I know that. I know they're out there. We just have to find them. Yep. And well, uh, then the education game builds, becomes yep. stronger. Well, we've got connections, and we've got a few folks already lined up. Um, and I mentioned a young man named Philip who. Uh, grew out of a similar type of learning structure as Amaka is describing. He's now 17, really neat young man. Um, there's, there's, there are others out there. So we will definitely be introducing them to you listeners over the next weeks and months. So we are delighted to have you join us. We are The Education Game. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.